They do a, a pretty fantastic job with those videos, huh? Man, how you guys doing this morning? How was sleeping morning? Dude, you guys got breakfast in bed. Like, come on, how are those breakfast burritos? Come on, come on. That is my love language, is breakfast burritos. So I'm absolutely stoked on this morning. Well, I have just absolutely loved our time together. And this morning, if you remember in the video, our friend Darlene, in a moment of honesty and yet deep love, had to be honest with King Nebuchadnezzar about where he was and his heart's condition apart from God. And although he might not have wanted to hear it on the outset, Darlene or Daniel knew it was the most loving thing to be able to present to him what is coming down the pipe if he doesn't trust God with being the Lord of his life. And so this morning, I hope you would know that one, I deeply love you, and because I do, and because God loves you infinitely more, this morning we need to be honest about where we are at, apart from God if we haven't surrendered to Jesus. So with that in mind, I just want to take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for this time. God, that we've had several days of just diving into your word, diving into worship. Father, in this morning, each of us needs to wrestle with the truth that is necessary and hard. Answering the question, who is the Lord of our life? And if it's us, what are the ramifications of that decision? God, be with us this morning. God, may I teach your word in the honor and respect it deserves. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. So how many of you love animals? You're like, where are my animal people at? Heck yeah, game on. Well, this might sadden you. So tribes located in rural parts of Africa looking to trap monkeys for food. Yeah, it's kind of messed up, right? Come on, they're monkeys. But how they do it is fascinating to me because they take these things called monkey traps. And what monkey traps are are kind of these woven baskets. Can you picture it? These woven baskets. And there is just a small hole on one of the sides of this woven basket. Only big enough for a monkey to kind of make his hand kind of small and just squeeze it in there. And inside of this woven basket is sweet fruit that this monkey so desperately wants. So what ends up happening is they put these baskets with this small hole filled with sweet fruit on the bottom beneath the trees that they're in. And the monkeys in the trees begin to smell. Some smells good in that basket down there. They slowly make their way down the tree. They get to the basket. They look at it for a little bit, examining it. And then they take the small of their hand and they put it through that tiny little hole. And they grab that sweet fruit. 
and then they go to pull it out. But they can't pull it out. Why? Because they're grabbing onto the sweet fruit that they so desperately desire. Not knowing that this tribe is lying in wait, ready to capture them and kill them. And all they have to do, all they have to do is let go. If they would just let go, they could pull their hands out and run for freedom and continue to live, but they don't. They still hold on to that sweet fruit, even though impending death is right around the corner. And this morning, we're back in this narrative, this historical retelling of the life of Daniel, but this morning, we're going to focus on Nebuchadnezzar. Because as we've seen in his life, time and time and time and time again, he has an opportunity to finally let go. But what does he do? He keeps holding on to the lordship of his own life. We looked at last night. Nebuchadnezzar has this epic experience, even though in the heat of his anger, he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, turns it up seven times, and he sees four people in the furnace, and he's blown away, and he calls them out. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? Do you remember his response? What does he do? He praises God, right? He takes a moment and says, surely your God is the God of gods, and not only that, he says, if anyone else worships another God, they will be torn limb from limb. Again, Nebuchadnezzar has some real anger problems. But this is where he ends in that chapter of chapter 3. But we see once again, for Nebuchadnezzar, he thought following God was still being the Lord of his own life, but maybe just cleaning up a few things. And like we talked through last night, God isn't concerned before we give our lives to him. It's not about seeing how moral or how good we can be. The first thing we needed to do is surrender, and he does the cleaning process you and I don't do on our own. So Nebuchadnezzar is trying to earn his way to God without submitting to God. And in this time, Nebuchadnezzar yet again has another dream. And just like we saw in the video, Nebuchadnezzar dreams of this big, giant, lush tree. Can you see it? Picture this big, giant tree in a grass field. Like Picture like avatar giant trees. You know what I'm saying? Like that is what he's dreaming about. But not only that, this tree is teeming with life. There's birds nesting in its branches. There's animals under its shade. There's flowers blossoming everywhere. It is this beautiful, perfect, utopic picture. And then all of a sudden, branches begin to fall off in great numbers off this tree. And it begins to die, and birds flee, animals run, and this giant tree comes toppling down right on the ground. And all of a sudden, everything around it dies, and all that's left is a stump in a desert, desolate land by itself. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up nightmare-esque, and he's terrified. What does this mean? But Nebuchadnezzar remembers, oh, I know a guy who knows a guy who can give some interpretation of dreams. So he calls Daniel, Daniel, get in here! And Daniel comes, and 
he retells this dream to Daniel. And Daniel's face slowly goes from being curious to being downcast. As he begins to be revealed, the interpretation of this dream by God. He looks at Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Sire, that tree that you saw, my friend, that is you. That is you. If you don't part with your kingship, if you don't surrender your life and praise God alone and have him be king of your life, this is what is coming down the pipe for you. Look at chapter 4 of Daniel, verse 27. Daniel, interpreting this dream, says, this is what's coming down the pipeline for you if you don't finally let go, surrender your heart, and surrender your kingship. And then he pleads with the king that he would let go. Look at Daniel's words in Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. He says this, Therefore, O king, May my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be prolonging of life. See, Nebuchadnezzar's life was marked by his own sin, marked by his own rebellion against God. He did not want God to be king of his life and now he's at a pivotal crossroads of his life he can either choose in this moment to heed daniel's words grasp the truth and go i am fully submitting my life to the lord it is not i who live i'm going to surrender the kingship of my heart to god or i'm going to keep trying to do things my way I'm going to continue to try to be Lord of my own life, even try to clean up myself and not submit to God. And so, again, he's at this decision point. And what does he choose? Look at verse 28 with me. It says, all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, so this is a year after this dream, he's had a whole year to surrender. But what does he do? At the end of 12 months, he's walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon, and the king answered and said, again, he's looking over the entire kingdom of Babylon, and what does he say? Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? Who does Nebuchadnezzar choose? Who does he choose? Himself. He chooses, I don't need God. I can rule my own life. Look at everything that I have built. Look at the glory that I am due. He doesn't surrender one iota, one inch of his life. In other words, he's saying, God... I don't need you. 
And friends, this is where God's word stands firm. Just like in the dream, what comes to pass in the dream comes to pass in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Look at verse 31. What happens? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken that the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time, that seven years of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to all whom he will. And immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and he ate grass like an ox and his body was wet like the dew from heaven till his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Friends, he goes full werewolf in this moment. Everything's ripped from him. Everything's taken from him in the exact moment. Picture this. He's standing on his own palace, looking over his own kingdom, proclaiming himself as God. And while he is still praising himself, God comes on the scene. He says, because you have not surrendered your life to me, you're going to pay the full weight of what you are due because of your sin and he's completely driven out. He lives in the wilderness like an animal. He's almost walking dead, a shell of who he is. He's lost everything. The sobering truth, friends, the sobering truth that we need to wrestle with this morning is you and I are not different from Nebuchadnezzar when it comes to sin. Look at me. You and I are no different than Nebuchadnezzar in this moment because of sin that is rooted in our lives. For Scripture tells us, these aren't my words, these are the words of God himself. He says, for all have sinned, all have sinned, you and me, and fallen short of the glory of God. All, not some, not most, all. So what is sin, and why is it such a big deal anyway? Sin is anything we think, say, and do, or worship that is apart from God. Sin is anything we say, think, do, or worship that is other than the living God. But friends, the truth of sin is much heavier than even that. Because the truth of sin etches its very claws into the eternal destination of our lives. And to fully grasp this, we need to go to the beginning. Genesis, the first book of your Bible, Genesis 1, what happens? What happens in Genesis 1? God creates the world. And what, is, what does God say everything in the world is? 
good. Genesis 2, he begins to make Adam and Eve men and women who bear his image, who represent him to this world. And he dwells with them. And it is, what does he say? Very good. Adam and Eve, not separated from God in perfect perfection as image bearers of God, God himself in perfect perfection, dwelling in unity together. And then we get to page three of our Bible. What happens? Adam and Eve decide that they get to be king of their own lives. That they are going to build their own kingdom that is in opposition to God's kingdom. God said, I ask that you do one thing and one thing only, that you do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what do they do? They say, you know what? I'm going to choose. I'm going to be ruler of my own life. I'm going to commit cosmic treason. Treason being they're going to create their own kingdom that is against God's, and they take and they eat, and sin enters the world. And friends, sin infects and curses every fabric of creation in this moment. And what we see and what it does is it completely separates creation from creator. It separates creation from each other. Adam and Eve, what happens? They eat it and what do they do? Hide. Not wanting to see God, not wanting to face what's going on. Sin separates you and me eternally from God. And we see that it has infected from page three of our Bible every single living being. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all have sinned. That's you and that's me. In our state as sinners, we are separated from God. We continuously choose us over him. And the symptoms of our disease being broken by sin is evident. As a dad, I see these symptoms all the time in just my four-year-old and my three-year-old. I did not teach my four-year-old how to lie to me. She just does it. The other day, she hit her sister, and I saw it. I said, Sayla, come here. Did you hit your sister? No. I did not teach her to be untruthful. I did not teach her to hit. Just as you experience the same things when you lie, when you steal, when you gossip, when I gossip, when I lie, when I steal, it is just part of what I do naturally because I am marked by sin. Because the sin of Genesis 1 has etched itself in the very fabric of creation. And friends, this isn't Matt's opinion. Look at what scripture says. David in Psalm 51, in sin my mother conceived me. So when I was born, I was etched in sin. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin came through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all mankind. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, 
So if you're sitting here and going, sin message doesn't apply to me. This is what it says. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we say we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and his word is not in us. And Romans 10 says, none is righteous, not even one. And Ephesians 2 would say that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Friends, this sin that is at the very core of me, of you, separates us from God. Why? Because God is holy. Say holy. Holy. He's perfectly set apart. In him, there is no blemish. In God, there is no sin. He is perfect perfection all the time since the beginning of time. Meaning that me as a sinner and the weight of my sin cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. Like oil and water, they don't mix. It separates me from him. It is a curse that I can't break through because of my sin and sin costs something there is a weight to my sin a payment that must be paid because I now owe a debt because of sin God asked for perfection and I chose sin therefore there is a weight of it and that cost is death Romans six twenty three says for the wages of sin is death. John 3, 36 puts it this way. He who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. This wages of sin is death. The word death actually has a double meaning. It means to die, die. It's like repeating yourself twice. Why? Because it's not just a physical death. It's not just you die physically, you die eternally separated from the living God. Do you feel the weight of this moment? Do you feel it? Eternally separated from the living God. So what can we do about it? What can I, what can you in our effort do about it? And this is the real sobering truth. Nothing. Scripture says that even our best attempts, even the best actions to clean myself up are filthy rags to a holy, perfect, and blameless God. Let me put it this way. Imagine, imagine I'm wearing a white t-shirt. And on that white t-shirt are black stains representing sin. But it's not just the t-shirt I wear. It's what I'm marked by internally. So my hands are stained by sin. Can I clean myself off? Could I take my hands painted in black and clean the black that's on my shirt? Could you? No. What do I need? I need someone whose sin has not marked whose sin has not touched, to be able to do what I cannot do 
and to take off that sin and exchange my sin for that perfection. I can't do it. Because of our sin-stained hearts, look at me, it is impossible to stand resilient and in resolve for the Lord. Our whole theme comes to a crossroads in this moment. We've been talking about resilience and resolve and standing for God in the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, but we can't on our own. Friends, look at me. What's needed is a savior. Look at me. You cannot save yourself. I cannot save myself. As I close, I hope as we go back to our cabins that we would take a moment to be honest. What are you holding on to? Who is the king of your life? And we just said, for all have sinned. What is that thing in the monkey trap of your life that you're just holding on to? What are the sins, the habits you just find yourself coming to grips with and Jesus is looking at you and just saying, let it go. Let it go. It's not worth your eternity. Let it go. It's not worth your life. We all have it. What would it look like for you to go back to your cabins and bring out what is in the darkness and bring it to light? Because friends, I have sin. The Lord is recovering me from sin. The Lord is recovering every single person in this room from sin. What would it look like for you this morning to go back to your cabins and maybe for the first time be honest about it? To say, yes, these are the areas in my life that I consistently and constantly let be king over the Lord. These are the areas that I'm handing over the kingship of my life and I'm bringing that into the light. Friends, we are all marked by sin and we are in desperate need of a savior. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I ask God, that you would empower us to be honest this morning. That me and my friends would be honest, God, about where we're at. About who is the king of our life. That you don't want us to just try to clean up ourselves and remain in control. For that leads to death. Sin leading to death. God, maybe this morning, would you empower us to finally be honest? To look into the very core of our soul and be honest about who's on the throne. Lord, we need you in every single way. God, go with my friends. Bless their conversations. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, in just a